location is one of the most undervalued components of cybersecurity, in my opinion. And what most people don't understand is that cyberspace is not this theoretical or amorphous entity that just kind of exists. All of the critical nodes, landmarks, pathways, boundaries, neighborhoods, the things from maps, they're all within cyberspace. Welcome to the Esri and the Science of Wear podcast. I'm Marcella Cavallero from Esri, and I'll be your host for today. You just heard Alex Martinek, Industry Strategy Lead for Corporate Security at Esri, help us understand why location intelligence is essential to cybersecurity. Today's governments and leading businesses use location intelligence to fortify their IT infrastructure, mitigate risk, and guard against data breaches. Here, Esri CMO Mariana Cantor investigate how location intelligence combined with AI and machine learning is remaking modern corporate security practices. Alex, hi, and thank you for being here with us. Oh, I'm very happy to be here. Thank you. Given all that is going on in the world of corporate security, what we see in the headlines and our social feeds and here in the news, what are the issues that are causing legitimate deep concerns for corporate security executives? There are a multitude of threats that modern businesses are facing today. And let me first focus on the two that I feel, in my opinion, are the most detrimental to the overall health of an organization. That's natural disasters and human conflict. And with natural disasters, this is pretty self-explanatory, but this is everything from hurricanes, tornadoes, wildfires, earthquakes. These are natural events that are largely outside of the control of an organization. Regardless of the cause, uh, the sad truth is that the frequency and intensity of these natural disasters has increased over the past 10 years. Uh, 2017 alone, we can look at over $350 billion worth of economic disruption. This is from the direct effects of a natural disaster like a Hurricane Harvey or the overall business disruption. If we look at California where we're located, we've actually had a wildfire every month since I believe it's December of 2012, so almost six continual years of wildfires in California. And this poses a unique challenge to organizations since they have no influence or impact on their cause. Uh, the other category is human conflict, and this is where we can start discussing asymmetric threats. These are non-conventional threats to an organization. This is everything from political or social unrest, gang-related activity, um, also workplace violence, and unfortunately the rise of active shooter situations, which we've had to cope with. These types of threats to organizations were largely um, unrepresented 20 years ago for corporate security. We also can look at reputation risk and the uh, social risk. This is really along the lines of how does an organization respond to these catastrophic events and what does that do to their brand? How does that influence how others view them? Whether it's internally from the employees, the customers, the guests, or the broader uh, space around them, how an organization's viewed. Has the role of a corporate security executive changed over the past several years given the breadth of these types of challenges that they face or their organizations face? And if so, why? Oh, undoubtedly, the rise of all of these threats has led to a situation where corporate security managers and analysts have been expected to do far more with less than ever before. Uh, they've had to now realign their strategies to not only look at physical security, traditional security of access controls and locks, but also continuity planning and enterprise risk management, being able to forecast and almost uh, predict how to mitigate these threats before they ever occur. 
So how has technology, whether it's analytics or connectivity or the internet itself, impacted both the ability to solve these problems, but as well the potential increase in the threats that the organizations face? Well, streamlined communications, this is a double-edged sword within the security space. I say this because risk management professionals now have access to more data than ever before, but this also creates the situation where it's hard to actually get actionable insights because of the overall data deluge that they have. How do you find the information during a crisis that's actually relevant and can influence the correct types of decisions that need to be made? Uh, within the intelligence community, uh, this is referred to as extracting signals from the noise. There's so much out there. How do you find out in those critical early moments what's truly important? Uh, so streamlined communication, although it's benefited response and the ability for teams to collaborate with one another, it's also created this type of environment where manual intervention within data itself, whether it's from an Excel spreadsheet, the output of a point solution, or even uh, a PDF report, that that manual uh, integration of that data has taken a great deal of time from these teams. Has technology introduced more exposure to risk in any way? It has been in a unique way, and this is, uh, since 2009, we've seen an unprecedented economic growth, uh, not only within the United States, but worldwide. And this has connected the end users and customers with brands, which has led to a enhanced demand for access, greater access to the goods and services they provide. This means that businesses that wanted to stay competitive have had to grow and expand in new and existing markets, which from the corporate security and risk management perspective, Whenever you grow and expand in a new market, you're inevitably more exposed to a wider array of risks. It's always easier to safeguard one facility with limited employees than a vast portfolio. And it's not uncommon for some of the users I work with to have thousands of locations and tens of thousands of employees worldwide, not just within a facility, but remote employees working from a home office or a local coffee shop, not to mention employees who are traveling for work. You just mentioned that you work with companies that are deploying various technologies to help them mitigate these risks. Uh, can you give us some specific examples? Now, I will say that within the security space, uh, a lot of the organizations that we work with don't like to publicly express what their posture is because that gives would-be adversaries some more information for probing on, on where they could potentially attack. I will say that one of the organizations that we work with is in the Fortune 100 financial space. And... They have a situation where they've had uh, thousands of facilities located within just the United States, but tens of thousands of employees around the world. And they needed a way to enhance what we call duty of care. Duty of care is not something that's new to corporate security, but it's becoming more popular. This is the idea or the notion that it is a company's duty and responsibility on an ethical level, but then also within the chain of liability to ensure that adequate safeguards are in place that promote the safety and health of employees, guests, and customers alike, wherever they may be. So I'll reference back to the remote employees. It's not uncommon for an organization to have an employee in a state where they may not even have a facility, but they still are responsible for that employee even if they're at their home or if someone's traveling. So how to make sense of all the information within duty of care. There's a lot out there. Um, it, it's about being able to access that information when an event occurs to look at what's going on and what do we have to lose. 
So would you say that business resilience or business continuity is really at the heart of what this is all about? I mean, clearly safety and so on. How would you characterize this discipline? And that's interesting because corporate security itself is, is a very loaded term. It means a lot of things to a lot of people. But we've seen this concept of resilience becoming uh, more salient now to organizations because they understand that they will have to operate during adverse conditions. It's just, it is now the new normal given the geographic dispersion of these organizations uh, across the globe. There will always be some type of event in some location. What are the success factors of a corporate security operation slash strategy? Communication is always key. There are a lot of technologies around there for advanced pattern recognition. We can look at artificial intelligence and machine learning. I think fundamental to any corporate security team or business resilience strategy is the ability to maintain communications during adverse effects and to quickly identify those mission critical insights. What is the information that's important? Uh, I was working with a user several months back and they had a particular incident at one of their locations. They had a incident of a, of a hostile actor within one of their facilities and it took them a great deal of time just to find the facility because they had multiple locations within the city that it occurred. So it wasn't just a matter of finding out, well, what city is it occurring? It's what facility in that city do we have this issue? Who's the manager in charge at that point? How can we get a direct connection with them? So one of the things that I've seen useful that we've been able to do with location intelligence is the ability to maintain communications with those who are on the field, whether it's through mobile applications and surveys, with those who are in the command centers and vice versa. I wanted to ask you about a philosophy, I guess, called single pane of glass that is an important aspect of excellent corporate security practices. Could you tell us about that? Oh, certainly. And I alluded to it uh, in this conversation, but to address the single pane of glass, this is the new philosophy around what we used to call the common operating picture. This is that ability to get those mission critical pieces of information quickly from a single view. Mm. The early stages of a crisis are the most important, whether it is a natural disaster or it is a human conflict, like we've seen within the Napa fires or the earthquakes that happened in, in Napa County about three years back. Having that communication early on makes all the difference during a response. So the single pane of glass is taking that relevant information, whether it's third-party data on threats that are coming out, those incident threat feeds whether it is the facility information on how many employees are there, what their names may be, some of the personal identifiable information, and also what the economic cost may be. What's the total insured value? What's the assets on hand? All of this is brought together through a geographic lens, uh, a map that adds context to it. Context leads to understanding, and understanding should always precede action. So it's clear that for physical security, location intelligence is important, where things are and when to intercept. But what about cybersecurity? How is location intelligence important there? You know, location is one of the most undervalued components of cybersecurity, in my opinion. My background is actually within national cybersecurity studies. And what most people don't understand is that cyberspace is not this theoretical or amorphous entity that just kind of exists. There are physical components to cyberspace. And in fact, if we look at the five main criteria that makes up a physical map or physical geography, all of those are found within cyberspace. So all of the critical nodes, landmarks, pathways, boundaries, neighborhoods, the things from maps, they're all within cyberspace. So if I was to take out my mobile device and try to access a social media 
feed. That feed is coming from a physical server that exists at a particular point in space and time. So being able to identify the cyber supply line, so to speak, where those key nodes are, where if there was a kinetic attack or a physical attack against one of those nodes, there would be a disruption. Being able to identify those enhances your ability to safeguard them. Also within cybersecurity, we used to have this term, if I can touch your computer, I own your computer. And a lot of the exercises I used to do was around the offensive capabilities, being able to manipulate thumb drives and other types of devices. But really when you have physical access to a device, it's the most vulnerable at that point. Give us a little bit of background on who you are and why you're interested in this uh, area. I vividly remember as a child going to see Lawrence of Arabia. That was about T.E. Lawrence and the Bedouin revolt uh, during World War I against the Ottoman Empire. That opened my eyes to what would I would later call human geography and understand it's the notion of when you understand how place impacts the identity of a people and vice versa. Fast forward to graduate school, I actually joined a uh, program as part of the California State University Academic Center of Excellence. It was sponsored by the intelligence community. They had a consortium for intelligence methodology and I started studying counterterrorism. And through that curriculum, I discovered that, hey, what I've studied now within counterterrorism, I can apply my passion for understanding just people. It's this discipline called human geography. We know that it's happening here, but why? First understanding where leads to why. Esri has had a long history working with national government, and now these learnings are being brought to bear in the uh, for-profit world. Are there some industries that are farther ahead in these practices or standardizing around these practices than others? In my opinion, where I've seen the greatest amount of growth has been the financial sector. This is banks, credit unions, all of the entities. Uh, it's part of follow the money. They've had a large financial incentive to safeguard for years their physical supply chain, which is a hard currency. But at the same time, uh, they have, I believe, a greater emphasis now on securing those facilities and all the employees who are with them. I see the retail industry in particular coming close behind them and also real estate as a subset to coming in as well, but certainly the financial sector. Do you see immediate benefits that can be gained in a number of industries? I'm thinking supply chain management or manufacturing, and there might be others where these practices could really impact the bottom line. Uh, yes, manufacturing and supply chain in, in particular, we've seen a lot of the greatest return on investment because, like I've mentioned, a single day's disruption can lead to tens of millions of dollars worth of lost production. Uh, within the financial sector, it's the, uh, the same loss of a server for even an hour. Uh, immediately cuts off hundreds of millions of dollars worth of cash flow that comes in. And if we've seen anything with the stock market uh, today, it's that even a one one hundredth of a second makes all the difference with some of these large trades. So that continuity of operations is critically important there. I'd say one of the other areas where we're seeing a lot of growing tr uh, traction, and again, it's unfortunate, but it's those other soft targets, malls and uh, entertainment destinations like theme parks. Look at what are the different perimeters uh, what are the security postures in those areas? How are they ensuring that their CCTVs have adequate coverage, for example? All these are spatial problems. Uh, we've also seen growing intelligence fusion amongst the private sector and law enforcement. Uh, City of San Antonio is a great example where their local law enforcement was coordinating with uh, state and federal entities during the March Madness events. Mm -hmm. uh, there was also a situation at that time where there was an um, individual that was 
mailing explosive devices through the mail and they had to use predictive analytics to find them. So that's one case of intelligence fusion where there was both private sector with multiple levels of the government. Uh, other groups we've seen is uh, the Indio Sheriff's Department, for example, during events like Stagecoach or Coachella have used our software to look at their perimeters. Another example that we can look at, particularly focused in with natural disasters, is one of our financial users out of the South. Uh, they had a no-name storm that hit them in 2016. And I say it was a no-name storm because it really didn't make national news or national headlines, but it still dropped a significant amount of rainfall. If memory serves, I believe it was over 5 trillion gallons, which at that point was one of the largest single rainfall events. Uh, Harvey was about 9.1. So like I said, it's, it's increasing in frequency and intensity. But they had a unique issue where they were one of the largest suppliers of commercial and also uh, private lending. And they had a vast in, uh, portfolio of properties that they had economic interest in. And so when they looked at the FEMA flood parishes, which are vast, they are multiple zip codes uh, put together, the particular area that's affected, and they actually aggregate some of the administrative boundaries. Their initial impact assessment from the event was around $360 million, which nobody wants to go to their board of directors to say that we have an economic interest at stake of $360 million. So they needed a way to refine that down. And the user we worked with it was great because he said the greatest challenge was taking the emotion out. Mm -hmm. Everyone was... Everyone was stressed. It was a particularly bad situation. Nobody wanted to be the one to, to share the news. So they needed to refine that number down. They wanted to find out what the ground truth uh, information was. So they employed a series of mobile solutions from a geographic perspective. They wanted to go out and look at how can we go beyond the FEMA flood parishes, the zip codes, and, and go down to actual blocks, to neighborhoods, to streets, and create non-standardized geographies to find out where is there actually water and where are there properties that are affected. Not just a little bit within the yard, but you know, two or three feet of water. And by employing some of those workflows, they were able to go to their board of directors with a cost that was half their initial impact assessment. So that was able to, again, they were able to make better decisions. And in that particular case, they were working with local law enforcement and they were even working with their insurance companies. So that's another case of that fusion intelligence. What about fraud and how does location intelligence and advanced analytics play into that? We all have that digital footprint and Surprisingly enough, this is with all of our consumer behavior. So when we talk about fraud, in particular credit card fraud, financial fraud, we all have a pattern, whether we know it or not, that we go through through our daily lives, our usual stops, whether it's for a cup of coffee, our usual preferences for uh, where we get gas for our automobile and our routes that we take. By incorporating artificial intelligence into a location intelligence solution, you're able to find out when someone's deviating from those normal behaviors because they're transcending the normal geographic boundaries that they usually do. Uh, of course, there's the low-hanging fruit of if someone is in Seattle and their card's being used in Miami, that's probably a particular case of fraud. But we can also look at different examples where multiple transactions are used where that person may live and reside, but they're outside of their normal behavior or even outside of uh, their normal types of transactions. What kinds of things will change most dramatically in the field of corporate security? Where is it headed? You know, what will be different and how soon? I think that the biggest change I've seen, at least over the past 15 years of, uh, of studying this, is that there is a greater focus within corporate security teams to be seen as more than just a cost center. There's a growing movement that shows that you know, corporate security is no longer just a matter of ROI. 
uh, we've tried to monetize various events that have happened and natural disasters are fairly easy to monetize because of the direct damages. But when we look at human conflict, there is no ROI on human life. That's something that I've, I've heard from several of our users that that's their greatest struggle is when they try to express that value in terms of dollar amount, it, you can't put that in place. You can look at litigation, but that becomes very difficult. The other growing trend I've seen through various professional organizations is that corporate security teams, regardless of the companies they work for, are working with one another. They, uh, they know that their parent company, the sponsor for them, they may be competitors with another entity, but the corporate security teams are allies because at the end of the day, the uh, betterment of the entire commercial sector is that they all can maintain continuity and resilience against these events. So it, it behooves them to share information, to share best practices, to work with one another. Even if it's two competing financial institutions that have equal market share, their corporate security teams will talk to each other. What should corporate security executives be most concerned about? You know, what should they be focusing on most? I, I think it's the unknown, and I don't mean this to be cliche that we should fear what we don't know, but a lot of the threats that we face today were not on most corporate security teams' radar 20 years ago. In fact, that's why there's, there's such a difference of identity within corporate security, because traditionally, corporate security focused on physical security, access controls, locks, this old castle mentality that you kept your would-be adversaries away from you. But this is no longer the case. The asymmetric threats that we face have the lowest cost of entry as ever before. Information sharing isn't just happening on, on the corporate security side. Information sharing is happening amongst hackers, would-be attackers, lone wolf groups, uh, various non-state terror organizations. And, and this isn't to, to be kind of fearing all, all these groups. It's more to say that it's going to become more complicated. Mm -hmm. We don't know what the next threat's going to be. And unlike corporate security groups who have to defend everything at once, these attackers can find one particular vulnerability and they can focus on that for a great deal of time. And they can try to exploit a weakness until they find a way through, even if the corporate security team doesn't know it's there. It's, mm -hmm. it's always easier to attack than to defend. Would you prioritize where corporate security professionals should start focusing on first? Is it the type of threat? Is it the type of technology, the practices and processes? I'd first focus on the technology to ensure that there is the ability to have uh, that fusion intelligence, that ability for multiple groups to work with one another. Because what we've seen with a lot of the investments within corporate security is that they've been hyper-focused on individual point solutions, CCTVs, access controls, and even uh, what we call a PSIM, which is kind of the way that people have tried to bring all these together. All of these have different outputs. I think the, the first type of investment that modern corporate security teams need to make, if they haven't already done so, is to facilitate a streamlined delivery of all of those outputs mm -hmm. and a way to filter out only the information that's necessary. Uh, social media listening is a great example. A few organizations are looking at how to look at real-time social media feeds because it's uh, in today's age with different groups like Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook, it, oftentimes you'll see the first reports of an uh, event from those types of entities. How to decipher and how to, how to pinpoint what types of vernacular are used that you need to focus in on. So what is uh, something that corporate security professionals simply get wrong? And again, there are so many different disciplines, but if I was to find the one factor that is the greatest detriment right now to corporate security, to business resilience, to continuity, it actually all comes to an internal discussion on how are corporate security professionals communicating the value of what they do to their executive stakeholders to really find 
where they need to place their investments. I think all too often corporate security professionals have struggled to adequately say what it is they do to those executives. So the investments within the technology they receive are minimal. I think it comes down to showing that there is no ROI again on a human life. And that in many cases, even though they're viewed as a cost center, if they are not prepared with the proper tools and training that they need to do their job, uh, the economic impact uh, can be severe. Alex, it was a pleasure having you here. Thank you for coming. Oh, it was a pleasure to be here. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Esri and the Science of Wear podcast. And thanks to Alex Martinek for throwing light on real world applications of location intelligence in corporate security and cybersecurity. To learn more, download our free eBooks, Putting AI and Location Intelligence to Work at esri.com forward slash AI. Making sense of digital transformation at esri.com forward slash where. And making the most of the Internet of Things at esri.com forward slash IOT.